I want to tell you, it's kind of an exciting time to be around Crestview right now. Yeah, we're getting ready for a trip. Thanks, Eric, for being up here and praying for a trip to Ukraine, who we're supporting there. But I want you to also know, currently, right now, we have four guys from our men's ministry in Oklahoma serving at Cookson Hills Christian School. Um, They're doing some demo for them and spending the weekend there. They're coming back later today, so be praying for them as well. That's an exciting trip that they are on for our missions team as well. We've got a Walk for Life coming up. You're going to hear more about that as as things get closer for that right here in Manhattan. Our children's ministry is doing some awesome things. Easter's right around the corner. they got some big plans for that, as well as some other plans for our um, fifth and sixth graders coming up that I'm excited about. And our volunteers, if you serve in our kids' ministry, thank you. Um, It's an awesome place to be. I'm glad that you do that. I'm excited for you in that. Our worship team, we've got some tech stuff going on that they are, as you noticed, right, they're tweaking some of that. They're working on it. But some new stuff that Steve is working on in here to make it sound even better. So um, it's some really cool stuff. Our youth... Our youth group just finished a series that they were walking through, um, a great series. They do it every year, and they just finished it up this week, and it was a home run. Um, they, they did a great job. We've got some great youth coaches right now working with our kids. Our women's ministry, um, last weekend there was an event here in Manhattan that they went to. We've got Women's Encounter coming up. There's really cool stuff happening within our leadership team and what we're working on, some behind-the-scenes things. Um, so Crestview is a really fun place to be a part of right now. Success? Failures? What do you call success? What do you call a failure? Now, I know that in our lives, we've got certain things that, you know, you can pass or fail, and there's certain guidelines that you have to get to on certain different things you pass or fail, but success or failure depends on (coughs) who you are, what you're working, who you're working for. Success or failure? Can you fail at something so bad that you get fired from a job? Yeah, absolutely you can. Can you fail at a relationship so bad that you can ruin that relationship? Yeah. Can you fail so bad that you're out of the reach of God? No. You can't do it. And we're going we're gonna to start a new series today on the life of Paul. And we're going to talk about Paul over the next few weeks leading up to Easter. And we're calling it Flawed because he was and so are we. And we're going to watch and see how we can follow in his steps to get into the grace of God with us. So um, I want to show you a picture as well. A picture that when you see this, it doesn't need an introduction, right? But when you see this picture, you know who this guy is. We all should know who this is. Abraham Lincoln. He was born in 1809 in a log cabin in Kentucky. His dad, if you didn't know this, his dad was illiterate. He couldn't hold the job. They were forced out of their home when he was seven years old. And when he was nine, his mother passed away. He virtually had no formal schooling. He attempted a career in business in 1831 and it failed miserably. A year later, he ran for state legislator and was unsuccessful. That same year, He lost his job, he applied for law school, and he was laughed at because of his qualifications. They weren't even close to being good enough. Not long after that, he started another business using money that he borrowed from a friend. By the end of the year, the business had failed, and he claimed bankruptcy. He spent the next 17 years paying off his debt to his friend. In 1835, he fell deeply in love, only to have his heart broken when she died after they got engaged. The following year, he had a complete nervous breakdown. Huh, I wonder why, right? Spent six months in bed recovering. 1838, he sought to become the speaker of the state legislator 
and he was defeated. Two years later, in 1840, he sought to become the elector of the state, and he was defeated. Three years later, he ran for Congress, and he lost. In 1846, he ran again for Congress, and he won. However, when he went up for re-election, he was defeated soundly. 1849, he sought the job of land officer in his home state, but he was rejected. And in 1854, he ran for the Senate of the United States, and again, he lost. In 1856, he sought the vice president nomination at his party's national convention, and he lost by only receiving 100 votes. In 1858, he ran for the U.S. Senate, and he lost again. But we all know how it ends, right? In 1860, Abraham Lincoln was elected to the presidency of the United States. Yay! But soon after, he endured the most devastating war that our country has ever experienced. Now, now his perseverance rewarded him. He was a great president. He was re-elected. But only months into that, only days after General Lee surrendered, on the 14th of April, 1865... He was assassinated. By the time he was 60, before he turned 60, he was dead. However, when I look at this picture, I think of success. Wouldn't you? Don't you look at this and go, yay, he was a successful president. He was a great president for us. Success or failure. How many of you feel like failures at times? Have you ever messed up so bad that you thought you could never win at anything or recover from anything? Well, I believe that the Apostle Paul felt the same way. There was a time period in his life that he probably felt this way as well. And the conversion of Paul is a mighty story. It's an amazing story. And I believe that it's the hinges of which this, this thing called Christianity pivots on. Now, Jesus is the main focus over and over and over again. You'll hear it. Jesus is the focus, and he is the reason that we're um, alive, that we're doing what we're doing, that we're saying what we're saying. But I believe that big doors swing on tiny hinges. Big doors like Christianity, big doors like the church, big doors like the story of the gospel swing on tiny hinges. And this story of Paul might be one of those hinges that this door swings on. So let's look at this, the, story, the history of Paul. Um, we, we don't have a single place that we can go to in Scripture and say, all right, in this book, in this chapter, this tells you the whole history of the Apostle Paul. We have to take bits and pieces throughout the New Testament, and we place things together, and we learn about his life that way. So by birth, he was a Jew. His Jewish name was Saul, and I'm going to get it confused this morning. I'm going to say Paul, I'm going to say Saul interchangeably, and I'm going to mess it up. So Paul and Saul, same dude, okay? His Jewish name was Saul, but by citizenship, he was a Roman. By choice, he was a Pharisee. By education, he was Greek. By grace, he was a Christian. Now, growing up as a little child, his early years, he had this Jewish religion. His goal, I think, as he grew up in his teenage years, as he went to school beyond that, was to be the leader or a judge on the Supreme Court for the Jews. It was called the Sanhedrin, equivalent to the Supreme Court. This would be the Supreme Court for the Jews. And I think he had this dream of setting on that. In fact, he probably wished that he was on that on that committee, on that team, when Jesus was arrested and crucified, he probably wanted to sit there and, and give that order to crucify Jesus, but he wasn't old enough yet. 
He wasn't there yet. When Jesus was preaching and teaching, my guess is that he heard about Jesus, but he wasn't quite there to be able to do that yet. Our first introduction of him doesn't come until Acts chapter 7. Towards the end of chapter 7, we see a story about a guy by the name of Stephen. And Saul gets to be just a little piece of that towards the end. So the background, let me build you into this. If you have your Bibles, man, grab them. Open them up. Get them to Acts chapter 7. If you have your phones on you, get your Bible app open. Acts chapter 7. We're going to spend a lot of time in chapters 8 and 9. Um, but Acts chapter 7 is the background of this. So Jesus has been crucified. He was arrested, crucified, and he's come back from the dead. He's appeared to many of his disciples, showing the proof that it really is him. These disciples start spreading the good news of Jesus and what happened to Jesus. There's a thing called Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, where Peter is preaching to a group of people. The Holy Spirit comes down upon this group of people. Many people come to faith in Jesus. Peter does some more preaching. He does some teaching. He does some healings. And I'm sure that Saul, who is well-educated, hears about this uneducated fisherman that's going around telling people that Jesus is the Son of God. And I wonder if he thought, man, if I could just kill that guy like they killed Jesus, this whole thing would be over. It it would come to an end. We could stop this thing called Christianity and the church. Well, Peter keeps going, but some others pick this up. One of those guys is a guy named Stephen, and he is the first martyr for telling people about Jesus. And Saul was right in the middle of it. Now, before this happened, the, the Sanhedrin, they didn't have the authority under Roman law to issue the death penalty. We, we actually saw that with Jesus. They couldn't do this with Jesus. They can't do it with Stephen either. But yet the mob comes around Stephen and they kill him and they bring his garments and they lay him at the feet. It says in chapter 7, verse 58, they lay him at the feet of a young man named Saul. Now it's debated. Did Saul order the execution? But we read in Chapter 8, verse 1, if you've read ahead already, look at chapter 8, verse 1, that Saul approved it. Approved it, ordered it, eh, technicality when it comes to a Supreme Court and a bunch of lawyers, right? Um, who says what? Maybe they, maybe he did, maybe he didn't. Either way, he was a part of it. This was good for him in front of the Pharisees. This was good for him in front of the people of the Sanhedrin. He was building a positive reputation. But yet in front of the Christians, they were all afraid of this guy named Saul. So let's look at it. Acts chapter 8, if you have your Bibles there, starting in verse 1, it says, And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. So this is what he did. It was kind of reverse evangelism. He'd go up to a house, knock on the door, and ask if there were any Christians there. We've heard about this type of evangelism, right? And they say, if not, we want to come in. We want to tell you about Jesus. He would find out if there were Christians. He'd drag them out of their home and take them to prison with him and throw them in prison. So the rest of chapter 8 talks about how some of these other believers started spreading the good news of Jesus. They were telling others. And then we get to chapter 9. We pick up Saul again. And it says, he is still breathing threats and murders against the disciples of the Lord. So he went to the high priest at the time. And he asked him for letters to the synagogues at a place called Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound back to Jerusalem. 
So what he had heard was these Christians scattered because they were scared of him. A lot of them went to Damascus, and he said, I'm going after him. So he goes and he gets permission to go arrest these Christians to bring them back to Jerusalem. He's a fanatic. A man who has gone head over heels for hatred of the Christians. And he would stop at nothing to stop the church from spreading. Now I think Luke unpacks the story. Luke is the one writing this in the book of Acts. He unpacks the story to help us understand that, that Paul, this guy Saul, was, he wasn't a seeker. He wasn't looking for Jesus. He didn't want to believe. The only thing that he wanted was to stop the church. So we've got to ask the question, why even bother praying for a dude like that? He's too far gone, right? Why would we even pray for somebody that's that far gone? He was totally convinced he was right. He was totally convinced Christians were wrong. He hated Christianity. He loved Judaism. And he was lost. He didn't even know it. He enjoyed the life that he had built. And he was ready to keep moving up. Paul actually writes about this. He's writing to a church in Galatia. So if you want to keep your fingers in Acts and you want to find Galatians, flip over to Galatians chapter 1 and you can see where Paul is writing about this time period of his life. And so he's writing to this church, reminding them of who he used to be. And he says it this way, For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. So he needed something. Something was going to have to happen to him. A divine intervention. Something not normal. Something that others would have a hard time believing, but that he knew was real. Now, many of us, we don't, we don't have that conversion story. I mean, for me, I, I grew up in the church. My parents, they brought me to church. I, I grew up going to camp. I knew about Jesus since I was a little kid. I've always walked this way and followed um, who he was. Some people came to Christ later in their life, but it was a friend invited them. They started telling them. They started doing some research and studying, and they came to a belief in Jesus. And not everyone has a story like Paul's, but many of you, you might. Some of you were pretty deep in sin before you understood who Jesus was. You, you wonder even how you're still alive. <laughs> how did I even make it here? There are people in our church that if you knew their past, you would wonder why we let them in. <laughs> why do you even let them here, right? If we played that game, hey, name that sin, we'd have every category covered here at Crestview. I think we could cover all of them. I've had actually people come up to me at this church and say, if you knew everything about me, you wouldn't let me come. My response is usually, if you knew everything about me, you wouldn't come listen to me. So we're even, okay? <laughs> me too. We're in it together. We've all made some mistakes. We've all done some things we regret. We all have done some things we don't want somebody else to find out about. But we have this in common. We've been washed in the blood of Jesus. We've been forgiven by Jesus. We're justified by grace. We're reconciled to God. We've been redeemed. We're restored. We're converted. And our lives are different for the better. Let's go back to the story in Acts chapter 9. This is Paul. Now he's on his way to Damascus, right? He approached Damascus and suddenly, this is verse 3, a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, um, and he said, why are, sorry, who are you, Lord? This one always catches me. Um, Here's Paul. He doesn't believe 
in Christ, but yet he responds to this bright light around him as Lord. So already he's making a case that this is God. And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, but rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who are traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him to Damascus. For three days he was without sight, and he neither ate nor drank. So for three days he's been fasting. No, no food, no water, and he can't see. This light blinded him. Now this story, the way the story goes, I'm, going to tell you, I'm just going to tell you this part. There was another man living in this town called Damascus. His name was Ananias. And God comes to this man. He's a believer in God. He's a believer in Jesus. God comes to Ananias and he says, Ananias, I need you to go to this house. He gives him the address. He tells him where it's at. He says, go to this house. There's a man there by the name of Saul. I need you to go lay your hands on him and pray for him. He's going to help us in an amazing way. And Ananias says, no way. God, you've got to be joking. I can't do that. This man, Saul, I know who he is. I know what he's done. He, he killed Stephen. He, he wants to arrest us. He wants to throw us all in prison. I'm not going. God says, no, I really need you to do this. So Ananias says, all right, fine, I'll trust you. So he gets up, and verse 17 it says, so Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, brother Saul, The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose, and he was baptized. He became a believer. He he admitted of who he was. He confessed of Jesus, and he was baptized. Look again, let's go back to Galatians. I'm picking up where we left off there as well. Paul writes about this. He says, but when he had set me apart before I was born, and he who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. This verse is amazing. I love this. Look at the very first word of this verse. This is Paul writing about his conversion and his story. The very first word. But, man, what a great interruption. Everything that happened in his life. He was a sinner, but God. He hated Jesus, but God. He tried to kill Christians, but God. He wanted to destroy the church, but God. He enjoyed being lost, but God. He wasn't even looking for a new life, but God. And note the change in the subjects. When Paul talks about his former life, it's always I, I, I. You know, it's always about him, self-absorbed. But when he talks about his conversion, the focus shifts, and now it's about God. And notice why. God was pleased to reveal his son in me. (laughs) Sometimes I read that and go, that doesn't seem fair, right? A guy like Saul, why would God choose to reveal his son to him? He's a loser. We should let him be that way. That's the way God works. And salvation begins with God, not with us. God revealed himself to Saul. There's another amazing statement in this. Paul actually writes it this way. He says, before I was born. Hmm. 
It means God was tracking him down from the very beginning of his life. He had his eye on Paul while he was still in his mother's womb. While he was a toddler, he was watching his every step. During his rambunctious teenage years, he was with him. During those long years of rabbi training, God was prepping him, preparing him to be the catalyst, to be this hinge that this big door of Christianity swings on. And he could look back on his life and he could see it. That God overcomes our reluctance. He knocks down our our excuses. He slowly but surely draws us to Jesus, even when we're flawed. And he's made a promise to us that when we seek him, we can find him. He doesn't stay hidden from us. When we seek after Jesus, he's right there to be found by us. Now, the rest of us, it takes a while to believe and trust. And it took really uh, the rest of Acts, all right, the rest of the New Testament to convince the other disciples that he was converted, that he was a believer. He wrote most of the New Testament He started so many churches. Paul continues, he writes about this, and it's still back in Galatians um, chapter 1, verse 16. He continues to write about what happened to him. Down in verse 23, I like this, I'm skipping down to this. He says it this way They were only hearing it said. So he's talking about the churches that he went and he was preaching to. He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith that he once tried to destroy. The one that is now preaching was the one who tried to destroy this very message that he was giving to them. And in all of this, you can see a transition in Paul. A new attitude towards other believers. A new attitude towards himself, from others to him. A new attitude towards the gospel. He now preaches what he once tried to destroy. Once he hated believers, but now he seeks their fellowship. Once he hated the truth, now he lives by the truth. Once he hated the gospel, but now he preaches the gospel. He was once called Saul, now he's called Paul. He was once a terrorist, now he's an evangelist. The crazy part is, he's the same man. However, he's still a new man. I watch it. By birth, he was a Jew. By citizenship, a Roman. By choice, a Pharisee. By education, he was Greek. By grace, he was a Christian. He became a missionary, a theologian, an evangelist, a pastor, a teacher, a preacher, an organizer, a leader, a thinker, a statesman. But yet, he never stopped being who he was. He still considered himself a Jew. He is now a Jew, though, that believes in Jesus. He still considered himself a Roman citizenship. He didn't give up his Roman citizenship. He still considered himself a Pharisee. However, he's following Christ. He still considered himself a God-fearing Greek, which makes him the perfect person to take the gospel message to a group of Gentiles who the Jews didn't believe they deserved it. This story of taking this message to a group of Gentiles means he takes it to everyone. Everyone means me. Everyone means you. Which leads me to a couple profound questions. What do you do with the message of Jesus? Once you've heard this message of Jesus, what have you done with this message? Have you, have you even accepted it yet? Is it something that you have believed in, that you have said, yes, I, whether you were looking for it or not, it's been given to you. What do you do with it? 
Whether you're looking for him or not, Jesus is easy to find. He's right there. You don't need bright lights to blind you. It's as easy as the ABCs. What do you do with the message of Jesus once you hear it? Do you admit that you're a sinner, that you're far from him, and that you can only receive that grace from him? Do you believe that Jesus really is the Son of God, that he came to be a sacrifice to you? Have you made that confession of faith? Have you said it with your mouth of who he is to you? And have you demonstrated it? Like Paul, after Ananias prayed for him, he became a believer and he got baptized. Are you living your life? Have you taken that step to believe? We have a baptism coming up here later in the service. It's going to be awesome. We have one planned for next week. I'd love, I'd love for a few more to, to join us. Who hasn't taken that step to follow? There's one more question, though. Have you taken the step to follow once you know the story of Jesus? And two, now what have you done with it? Who knows about Jesus because you know about Jesus? What do you do with the story of Jesus once you've accepted it and once you've believed it? You know, about a year ago, um, we handed out these little cards, little white cards. There's a, there's a bunch of them. I restocked the uh, chairs with them, and mine's all, mine's all faded and everything, but there's a couple names on this card. And I ask everybody, take one of these cards and write down the name of one or two, don't do more than that, one or two people that you're going to start praying for that they don't know who Jesus is you're just going to start praying for him. Keep it close to you. I keep mine in my wallet. Every time I get it out, I see this little piece of paper and I pray for these guys. Here's a cool story. Here's one of the best parts. I love this, all right? Many of you don't know this. I wrote down a couple names on my card. This was about a year ago. Several months ago, I got to baptize one of the guys that I wrote on my card. Here's the coolest part of the story. Just a few weeks ago, that guy came up to me here at church and said, Pastor Devin, I want to introduce you to my friend who I brought to church with me this morning. What are you doing with the story that you have? Are you sharing it with somebody else and are they sharing it with somebody else? It's up to us to make sure that we continue this story of what happens because we're flawed and so is everyone else and everyone else needs this message of Jesus. I loved it as well. A couple weeks ago, I saw someone standing out here in the lobby looking out the window before service started. And I said, hey, can I help you with anything? Is there anything going on? She said, I, I, I invited a friend and they're supposed to come this morning. I'm just waiting for them. And the anticipation of that, of them showing up, was so exciting. I caught on. I was like, this is great, yay. They didn't come that day. They came later um, the next Sunday, but it was still there, right? You still, who have you invited that you're standing at the window waiting for them to come so that they can hear about Jesus? I want to encourage you, take one of those cards, write a name down, keep it close to you so that you see it often and pray for them. So here's my offer. One, if you haven't, if you don't know who Jesus is and you haven't taken that step, I want to share them with you. I'd love to teach you about it. If you have, take that message to someone else. Let's pray quick. Father, I'm grateful for your son, for what he has brought to us. I'm grateful for the story of Paul, that he was willing to go and tell others about you. May we continue that message. Even when we are far from you, that we can come closer to you, and so can anyone else. We love you, and it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.